The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Schizophrenia Community Radio. By listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio, you'll be joining, supporting, and gaining strength from the schizophrenia community. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Episode 11 of Schizophrenia Community Radio. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from medical practice. Our topic today is recovery and schizophrenia and what it takes. The very idea of recovery creates hope, hope that the fear of schizophrenia can be erased, hope that the stigmatization, discrimination and abuse of individuals living with schizophrenia can be eliminated, and hope that the excessive burdens created for family caregivers caring for family members living at home with schizophrenia can be relieved. So yes, the very idea of recovery brings hope, but it also attracts objections, objections that are sometimes very strongly expressed, which is why our topic, recovery and schizophrenia and what it takes, is so important for the schizophrenia community. To discuss it, our guest is Dr. Chris Somerville. Chris is CEO of the Schizophrenia Society of Canada and Executive Director of the Manitoba Schizophrenia Society. He serves on numerous boards and committees, including the Mood Disorders Society of Canada, the National Network on Mental Health, the Canadian Alliance on Mental Illness and Mental Health, and several ethics committees. With an earned doctorate, he is certified with the International Association of Psychosocial Rehabilitation Services as a psychosocial rehabilitation practitioner and as an intervention trainer with Living Works. And as a family member and as a recipient of psychiatric services, he sees mental illness as an issue not only in health, but also in social justice. So welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you, Dr. Atherley. Glad to be with you today. Super. Chris, first, please tell us what is and is not meant by recovery and schizophrenia and what a caring community actually is. Chris? Dr. Atherley, first of all, I need to say very emphatically that when we talk about recovery from or in schizophrenia, we're not talking about a cure, although remissions do occur and people can remain symptom-free for many years, decades, in fact. But when we talk about the recovery concept, which is a philosophy, which is a paradigm shift in our understanding of mental health, Dr. William Anthony is uh, probably the recovery guru, and uh, he says that recovery is a deeply personal, unique process of changing one's attitudes, values, feelings, goals, skills, and roles. So it's, it's a way of living a satisfying and hopeful and contributing life, even with the limitations caused by illness. 
So when we talk about recovery, it involves the development of a new meaning and purpose in one's life as the individual grows beyond the catastrophic effects of mental illness. Dr. Pat Deegan is a psychologist and who has schizophrenia. She's written about recovery that the goal of recovery is not to become normal. The goal is to deeply embrace the vocation of becoming more deeply and more fully human. And so a caring community is one that supports recovery. That's the shortest answer. A longer answer would be what kind of supports and services are needed in place, and I think we'll answer that as we go on in the program. Right. Now, please tell us about the work of the Schizophrenia Society of Canada as it relates to recovery in schizophrenia. Chris? The Schizophrenia Society of Canada was formed in 1979 by Dr. Bill Jeffries, and at that time, no one talked hardly about schizophrenia. Uh, they were talking about, excuse me, recovery, recovery. Uh, they were talking about recovery in other places such as Australia, New Zealand, and Scotland. But somehow or another in America and in Canada, we've been late coming to the scene of recovery, especially um, Canada. So today, the Schizophrenia Society of Canada has fully embraced the recovery philosophy, and we talk about re recovery plans. Uh, one of our value statements at the Schizophrenia Society of Canada says, quote, the Schizophrenia Society of Canada values collaboration at all levels to ensure that caring, compassion, hope, and recovery remains at the heart of our movement. So... We've advocated for recovery-oriented mental health systems and services at the Mental Health Commission of Canada. And the Mental Health Commission of Canada, if you go to their website, they will have their recently published guidelines for recovery-oriented practice, what that looks like. Right. Now, let's switch in the other, to the other direction. Please, would you tell us about the objection? to the very idea of recovery as it relates to schizophrenia. What are those objections? Well, in fact, there are a good number of people who object to the concept of recovery, thinking that we mean by cure by the word, but we emphatically state that we're not talking about a cure. Uh, a lot of people think that recovery in or from a mental illness is an irresponsible fad that is just the latest flavor of the month. But in fact, people have been talking about the concept or the roots of the recovery movement in psychiatry uh, for over 100 years or more. Uh, it can be traced back to humanistic philosophers, social activists, and compassionate clinicians, clinicians over the past couple of hundred years. So in the United States and in Canada, uh, in the 1970s and 80s, when people with personal experience of severe mental health problems um, learned about the recovery concept and wrote about the concept, they declared that their symptoms and incapacities need not permanently impede their achievement of what's called personally valued life goals and that their identity did not need to be defined by a disability. So that's just one example uh, of why uh, an objection. Uh, I'll, I'll just um, list a couple of others without going into too much explanation. Recovery um, is old news, some people say. Well, um, that's, that, that's 
not true. It's, uh, it's only in recently in North America that we've adopted the recovery philosophy, which is a paradigm. At the clinician level, it's, it's having a person-centered relationship with the patient or client. Uh, I'll just mention one other uh, misconception is that recovery-oriented services are not evidence-based. But the evidence is in, and there's plenty of, of evidence-based information. I would reference uh, uh, Dr. Mike Slade out of England, who has been in Canada and numerous provinces talking about the evidence behind the fact that people with severe and persistent mental illnesses can and, in fact, do live a life of recovery, that is, living beyond the limitations of the mental illness. Now, I want to just go back to something you said, just to, first of all, to check with you to make sure I've understood it, and then to dig a little bit deeper. Um, recovery is making the very best of the skills, um, the abilities, uh, the interests that you have, um, rather than allowing yourself or being allowed to submerge yourself in disability. Now, that may not be quite the right wording, but do you think I'm more or less on the right lines what I, in what I've just said to you? Right. The emphasis is on living a meaningful and satisfying life as defined by each person in the presence or absence of symptoms. So one would not consider themselves a schizophrenic, but a person who lives with schizophrenia. Schizophrenia, rather. Uh, it is about having control and, and input into your own life. And each individual's recovery, like his or her experience of the mental health problems or illness, is a unique and deeply personal process. So re recovery is not linear. Uh, it's more than symptom reduction. It is about achieving a quality of life in spite of the presence or absence of symptoms. Now, I'm going to put another question to you, but again in the form of a kind of statement. Would it be right to say that someone who is living that life of fulfillment, of recovery, um, is also more likely to make what perhaps the medical profession would say is good progress? That is, in other words, what the individual is doing and thinking and how they're behaving actually promotes the recovery uh, in the way that you've described it. Is that right? Well, that, that's right, and that's how we apply those principles to every illness, whether it be muscle sclerosis or Parkinson's disease. Um, it is coming to that place where one possesses a sense of hope and meaning and renewed self-identity and is able to move forward to, to whatever degree they're capable of uh, based on having the kind of supports and services around them that facilitate that movement forward. And to go back to the idea of objections, it is right to say that there are people around who object to that stream of discussion that you and I have just had. Is that correct? Yes, there's a lot of family members who are struggling with the concept of recovery. Because, quite frankly, they've not seen their children recover as you and I are talking about today. And that can be attributed to the fact that 
they weren't part of a recovery-oriented mental health team or the family did not know about this concept of recovery and how families can promote recovery, and we'll talk a little bit later about that. So, you know, I would have a compassionate, uh, benevolent uh, view towards those families who struggle with the concept of recovery because it, it takes the support of a caring community and mental health service providers who are committed to this philosophy and paradigm, and it does change the patient professional relationship. Yeah, yeah. Now, we've re- arrived at the time when we have to take the short break, so we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Dr. Chris Somerville. You're listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You count. Tune into Inner Revolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Inner Revolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any suggestions, questions, or comments you'd like to share with him, please send them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's doc, letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Now back to Schizophrenia Community Radio. Welcome back to our listeners to Schizophrenia Community Radio and Dr. Chris Somerville. Our topic is recovery and schizophrenia and what it takes. Now, Chris, let's talk about some of the challenges created by the objections to the very idea of recovery as it relates to schizophrenia and what you believe it takes to respond to these challenges. So let's deal with the one, the first one first. Chris, fear of schizophrenia is yet to be fully erased. What do you see as the most challenging of the challenges created by 
the objections to the very idea of recovery as it relates to schizophrenia and how do you see these challenges being effectively responded to? Chris? Well, I, I, I think the most challenging of the challenges is what you call the fear of schizophrenia because there's so many myths out there, for example, that people with schizophrenia are automatically violent. Um, one of the other myths is that once schizophrenic, always schizophrenic. And I would refer your listeners uh, to an article which you can Google uh, by Dr. Courtney Harding. It's entitled Empirical Corrections of Seven Myths About Schizophrenia with Implications for Treatment. And so she demonstrates uh, very academically that people even with severest forms of schizophrenia, uh, up to 65% can and, and do experience this, this uh, concept of recovery. And, and that is um, coming to a place where they have hope and meaning and purpose in life, even though they may still uh, have symptoms of schizophrenia. One of the fears that families have is not only that their loved one will not receive adequate holistic treatment, they also fear that their child may not recover. And again, longitudinal studies recognized by the World Health Organization demonstrate that it is very much possible for people with schizophrenia to, to get better and not to live in a downward spiral course. But in order for that to happen, that is for that recovery to happen, you have to have mental health teams and service providers who are committed to the philosophy and practice of, of the recovery philosophy. Right. Now, I'm going to ask you a similar question, but in relation to stigmatization, discrimination, mm -hmm. and abuse. That's abuse of individuals living with schizophrenia because those three um, three challenges, these three problems have yet to be fully eliminated in our society. So what do you see as the most challenging of the challenges created by the objections to the very idea of recovery as it relates to schizophrenia and how do you see these challenges being effectively responded to? Chris? When we talk about stigmatization and discrimination and abuse of individuals living with schizophrenia, it's all too real. Unfortunately, the public does not take it seriously. Um, and that's due to their own stigma and, and their own prejudice, but not learning more about schizophrenia. Unfortunately, stigma and prejudice are very rampant within healthcare circles, especially mental health, and that's ironic to speak of it as that way. So one of the challenges we have is to educate residents and doctors and psychiatrists and other mental health service providers about the reality of recovery and not to pathologize people and labelize people, but to see them as persons and to encourage person-centered care. And so we need to combat stigma. And one of the best ways to combat, to combat stigma is actually for students and the public in general to hear a first-person story, a narrative of an individual who stands up and talks about their life before schizophrenia, their life with schizophrenia, and what has helped and hindered them in their recovery, 
and the successes that they have experienced, even though they may still have symptoms. You're wanting them, Chris, um, to share their experiences with others, uh, where their experience was of stigmatization, discrimination, or abuse, or and abuse. Is that right? It's the experiences you want them to share with others. Is that right, Chris? Well, that's how we primarily learn about things in life. And um, this method is called contact-based education. Excuse me just a second. (laughs) Where you have an individual who, you know, presents themselves and talks about their story of schizophrenia, but also talks about their hopes and dreams and their aspirations. And once people are exposed to that type of testimony, it not only changes attitudes, but it changes the hearts of people. Right. Now, talking about the hearts of people, Chris, um, what about the role of spirituality? Now, here I'm talking about spirituality in its biggest sense, not necessarily Mm. any particular religion, but just the sense that there's a spiritual character at work in Among Us. Chris, what role would you assign to spirituality in that way? Well, it's a very important role. Spirituality is about connections, connections with self, with creation, uh, with others, creatures. And if one believes in a creator or higher power, then that connection as well. And when you look at the list, the top ten list of what people say help them in their recovery, spirituality is in the top ten list. And so even for myself and my struggles with depression and suicidal ideation and misuse of uh, uh, alcohol in my earlier days, uh, a Christian spirituality for me, an authentic one, was very helpful in terms of communicating to me hope, meaning, and purpose, and that a higher power, in this case, you know, God, um, was for me, was rooting for my success and, and, and eager for my healing. Right. Now, let's talk about the excessive burden on family caregivers. That's the burden that caring for family members living at home with schizophrenia, that, that burden is, is yet to be fully relieved. What do you see as the most challenging of the challenges created by the objections to the very idea of recovery um, as the challenges relate to or or as the recovery relates to schizophrenia and how do you see these challenges being effectively responded to chris well first of all we have to do a lot better job of of explaining recovery to family members and especially to those who are who are ambivalent first of all it's not just the patient or the loved one with schizophrenia that is in a process of recovery which is a journey But it's also the family. I mean, the family is recovering from the trauma, from the shame, from the stigma, the self-stigma. And they're also recovering as caregivers in terms of the burden and the lack of respite. So in, in our services to families and communicating with families, um, we need to recognize that family and other supporters are often crucial to recovery and they should be included as partners wherever possible and whenever possible. 
And one of the exciting developments in recent years is is the uh, development of family peer support workers. Now, when we talk about peer support workers, generally we're, we're talking about people with lived experience of mental illness, such as schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or eating disorders, who themselves become peer support workers to encourage and mentor and model recovery to other patients. Now we have... Uh, 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 this group of people who are family members who are saying, well, I as a family member want to be an encouragement and mentor and model to other family members about the role of caregiving and recovery from all the burden that's associated with caregiving. Now, let's go a little bit further with that. Um, A story that I often like to quote is this. It's a in these sorts of circumstances where family caregivers are carrying the burden and very often feel themselves alone, uh, it's good to hear someone else living the same experience, talking about what they did and what they achieved. Because, first of all, then the listener says, well, at least I'm not alone. And then the listener also says, you know, I know what this person is talking about because I've lived that one too. Now, in that sense, this communication of um, the the burden and what family caregivers actually do seems to me to be important. Do you agree with that? And if so, what what do you think about this idea of people talking to people about their experiences uh, of excessive burdens? Chris? Well, it is critical, and it's the most important, and we don't do a a very good job in the traditional mental health system, but in a recovery-oriented mental health system, families would be uh, part and parcel of the recovery process, and families can project hope and communicate hope, and hope in its shortest definition and its fundamental meaning is a belief with expectation. So the belief that a person can get better and the expectation that they will get better. And again, we're not talking about a cure. And so, for example, at the Manitoba Schizophrenia Society as well as the other provincial schizophrenia societies across Canada, we have thousands of family members who work with newly, family members who are newly uh, introduced to the world of mental illness, and they come with a, a lot of hopelessness and helplessness and shame and self-stigma. And so there's nothing more powerful than another family member coming alongside and walking alongside a struggling, suffering family member and encourage them that things can and do get better. But in order for that to happen, you have to have, you have, to have the support of a caring community, which means appropriate supports and services and a recovery-oriented mental health system. And it's also true, and this is a rather stark comment to make back to you, but the healthcare system is under such financial pressure that there's more and more enthusiasm on the part of the healthcare system decision makers uh, to ensure that people with these kinds of illnesses are cared for at home. And I'm not going to ask you to respond to this next comment I'm going to make, but it seems to me that that creates, if you like, an ethical or moral responsibility on the part of healthcare systems, the systems generally, to provide the support that family caregivers need in shouldering the burden. 
Now, I apologize for lecturing you and not giving you a chance to respond to that, but we've reached the point once more where we have to take the break, so we'll do that now. Uh, this is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Dr. Chris Somerville, and you're listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleiner interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleiner Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any suggestions, questions, or comments you'd like to share with him, please send them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's doc, letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Now back to Schizophrenia Community Radio. Welcome back to our listeners to Schizophrenia Community Radio and Dr. Chris Somerville. Our topic is recovery and schizophrenia and what it takes. Chris, now let's talk about programs, services, and policies that you believe are needed or needed to be improved to promote the idea of recovery for schizophrenia as you've described and defined it for us. So let's talk about the fear of schizophrenia. Um, Given that it's not yet fully erased, please tell us about the programs, services, and policies that you believe are needed to promote the idea of recovery for schizophrenia. Chris. Well, again, we have to have policies within mental health that support and encourage recovery-oriented practice, and I'll be talking about some guiding principles in a few moments. But, uh, again, contact-based education wherein people with lived experience of mental illness actually are telling their stories of hope and meaning and purpose and consequently, uh, the listener is, is not seeing or hearing a label, but they're, they're, they're seeing a person uh, who is, is struggling with a, a, a mental illness. Now, we need programs and services that are dedicated 
to the guiding principles of recovery-oriented practice. So I'll just list a couple of those. Um, one of the guiding principles is living a life beyond illness, and that is that recovery is about building a meaningful and satisfying life as defined by the person. So recovery represents a movement away from pathology. Uh, we don't see a schizophrenic, but a person who is living with schizophrenia. It's a movement away from illness and an emphasis on strengths and um and wellness. Uh, another guiding principle would be hope and control. I mean, hope, as we've talked about it already, is central to recovery and can be enhanced by the person seeing how they can have more active control over their lives. We call it agency. And how others have found a way forward. And that's facilitated by peer support workers. So that's why it's very important for any mental health service our program to have peer support workers who are people who have experienced mental illness but also experienced recovery and they can model self-management. Uh, they, they, they model the fact that they have recovered uh, personal identity because one of the primary things that is attacked or diminished or goes away when you develop a serious mental illness like bipolar disorder or schizophrenia is that there's a loss of personal identity. And so a person has to come to a place where there's a sense of personal identity separate from the illness or disability. So that's just a couple of guiding principles that, that every program and service uh, should uh, operate from. Right. Now, let's go to the stigmatization, discrimination, and abuse of individuals living with schizophrenia. And given that they're not yet fully eliminated... Please tell us about the programs, services, and policies that you believe are needed to promote the idea of recovery for schizophrenia. Chris? Well, that's a great question because uh, it leads us to the question of what is it that people are recovering from? Uh, people are recovering from stigma and discrimination. They're re those who have severe mental illnesses that are on income security or welfare, as it might be stated in the States, uh, is that they may lack adequate, affordable, safe housing, uh, not having adequate income. Uh, they may be recovering from uh, seclusion and restraints and abuses within the mental health system. They can be recovering from uh, a non-recovery-oriented mental health approach to their mental illness. Uh, they're recovering from stigma and self-stigma where you internalize the, the, the stigma and you think you're less than other people. So actually people recovering from mental illness are recovering from a lot of things, not just the illness itself. I mean, yes, they are recovering from the, the signs and symptoms of the mental illness. And one of the main things that they're recovering from is, is framed in a conversation around civil rights, and that is lack of social inclusion. Uh, social inclusion is very much much part of the recovery process. People do not recover in isolation. Recovery is closely associated with social inclusion and being able to take on meaningful and satisfying social roles within local communities rather than in segregated services. So that's, that's most important that recovery is not just medical. Uh, it, it, is all, it is also social uh, because without social inclusion, I don't think a person uh, can really experience full recovery. Right. Now, we're talking now, going to talk about the excessive burdens on family caregivers. Um, 
they're not fully relieved, as you've made very clear. So please tell us about the program services and policies that you believe are needed to promote the idea of recovery um, for schizophrenia that takes account of the excessive burdens on family caregivers. Well, first of all, programs and services and policies, uh, to speak of the three, uh, have to recognize the all-important role of meaningful participation by family members or however one defines family. And, and that means that families are meaningfully engaged in the planning, the implementation and evaluation of mental health services, and ensuring that they are recovery-oriented, that they're person-centered, that mental health services are person-centered, that there's collaboration, uh, that um, uh, there's a circle of care around the person. And families, families need to be have access, rather, families need to have access to information about how a mental health service provider or mental health care team operates. Are they operating from a recovery philosophy? Uh, how do they view the, view the family? And how do they mani- meaningfully engage the family uh, in the recovery process of their loved one? The Mental Health Commission of Canada uh, released uh, this past year family caregiver guidelines, and I was part of that. And so these guidelines are for regional health authorities, or lenses, as they're called in Ontario. Um, any governmental agency that de- that uh, delivers mental health services needs to be familiar with family caregiver guidelines. And in fact, there's a toolkit if you go to the Mental Health Commission of Canada website, that is developed for family members in terms of how to promote family caregiver guidelines with service providers. Right. Now, I want to just refer back to something you've said a couple of times, and that is people who um, need the kind of recovery um, message uh, and can benefit from it. Uh, So far, what we've said is that we're just talking about schizophrenia. But you've also mentioned the need for support and help, Uh, for example, for people with depression or other um, mood disorders. Um, In other words, other mental illnesses, maybe fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, maybe um, autism spectrum disorders. So my question to you is, is this. Is there value, do you think, in bringing together family caregivers and individuals from not just schizophrenia, but also these other mental health challenges um, so that they can work together discussing their experiences, sharing their experiences. What do you think, Chris? Well, it's, it's very important to bring family members together so they can talk about their shared lived experiences and hopes and dreams and solutions to having a better mental health care system. Some people say we don't have a real mental health system in Canada, that it's too fragmented, and it lacks the resources and capacity to address the thousands, if not millions of people, who are trying to get mental health services. 
So we can't underestimate the role that families can play. And families also looking at their own caregiving styles because you have to look at your family of origin to see where your caregiving style comes from. And if it's not a healthy caregiving style, uh, that is, let's say it's a very codependent relationship, uh, doing caretaking as opposed to caregiving, uh, then family members need to be helped and encouraged uh, with with understanding to adjust to a better uh, family system that promotes recovery rather than discourages it. Right. Now, I just want to sort of emphasize something that you've said back to you. Peer support workers who are actually family caregivers who are now wanting to reach out and provide a hand in the in a metaphorical sense to others who are traveling the same road as they traveled. So all of that fits together within schizophrenia. But would it be right to say that um, people from all these other mental health challenges can also join together and be peer support workers? Or do they need to be separated by the particular type of mental ill health? Chris? I think that the common element of peer support, whether you are a family member peer support worker or a person with lived experience of mental illness peer support worker, is not diagnostic. It's not based on your diagnosis, but it's based on your mental distress. So what is the distress that you share in common? And so for family caregivers, the distress is caregiving and the burden of caregiving and the frustrations of navigating the mental health system. The, the common element that consumers or people with mental illness share in terms of a peer support relationship is that of fear and hopelessness and lost identity and what can help or hinder him or her in their recovery process. So that's the, the, it's a mutually shared experience it's not giving advice, it's not counseling, but it's encouraging and mentoring re- recovery to each other. Right, right. Very very clear because uh, I know I've made the point already and I won't repeat it in too much detail, is that we do tend to think, don't we, by diagnostic category. And you're making the very strong point that it isn't a matter of diagnosis. It's a matter of shared experience. It's a matter of um, understanding how other people have responded to the situations they're in and then determining oneself to be uh, a peer support worker or somebody else holding out the hand of help and hope. Now, once more, we're at the time for the break, so we'll take that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Dr. Chris Somerville. You're listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We will be back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
Tired of lackluster results with your marketing? Craving more leads in your business? Tune into the Mojo Marketing Edge with the team behind Mojo Global Marketing, Ira Rosen and Corey Michael Sanchez. Winners of the Marketer of the Year, they will show you how to generate daily leads, build databases of raving fans, and close deals faster than ever before. See what's hot right now and how you can tap into it to generate an endless supply of customers and clients. The Mojo Marketing Edge can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to the Hospitality News Network for a look inside the travel, hotel, restaurant, and hospitality industry. Host Stephen Nicole and his guests will teach you everything you've wanted to know about this fascinating industry. Who knows? You might just want to change your own career path. At the very least, you might end up being a preferred customer. The Hospitality News Network is broadcast live every Monday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any suggestions, questions, or comments you'd like to share with him, please send them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's doc, letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Now back to Schizophrenia Community Radio. Welcome back to our listeners to Schizophrenia Community Radio and Dr. Chris Somerville. Our topic is recovery and schizophrenia and what it takes. Now, Chris, let's discuss promoting the very idea of recovery in schizophrenia and maybe other illnesses as well. I don't know. So what more do you think the Schizophrenia Society of Canada should do to promote the very idea of recovery in schizophrenia? Chris? I I think we can be more vocal and we can engage in more advocacy at a local, regional, provincial, and national level in terms of advocating for a transformed mental health system that is recovery-oriented. The current mental health system that we have, its primary goal is symptom reduction. Now, as important as that is, I would say that the primary goal of the mental health system should be quality of life. I know a lot of people that are very faithful in taking their medication, but they have no quality of life. So the recovery philosophy encourages social inclusion and people's basic needs being met. Uh, In other words, the social determinants of health, what determines good health and quality of life. So a recovery-oriented approach um, deals with the over, o- overall pattern of care, support, and professional practice based on learning what works from people in recovery and conducted by staff and appropriate qualities and skills in recovery supportive relationships. So it's imperative that all mental health organizations, not along the Schizophrenia Society of Canada, uh, advocate for recovery-oriented mental health services 
And again, the Mental Health Commission of Canada most recently uh, did release uh, recovery guidelines for re- uh, or recovery-oriented practice, and, and again, those can be found at the website of the Mental Health Commission of Canada. Right. Now, what more do you think that the mental health care professionals should do to promote the very idea of recovery in schizophrenia? Chris? Well, quite simply, um, they have to unlearn what they've learned in university and residency, and that is that there is hope and help for people with severe and persistent enduring mental illnesses. Uh, They should not pathologize people who have mental illnesses. They should address their own stigma and see a person and not an illness. We, we always end our presentations at the Manitoba Schizophrenia Society with the following words, ask not what illness a person has, rather ask what person the illness has. And so one of the best things that a mental health care profession could do is to have recovery conversations. So we encourage them to talk about recovery with their clients and patients and what are their hopes and their dreams and to encourage them in that. Also to be strengths-based, not deficit-oriented. Strengths-based is looking at the strengths and the positive aspects of the individual and encouraging them in that, that growth. And when you become that oriented, in that style of what I'm talking about today, then you truly are a person-centered care, health care professional because you're instilling hope and you're creating an environment in which recovery can take place. The professional does not do the recovery work. The patient does. But that work cannot be had if we do not have environments of recovery. Right. Now, what more do you think that the criminal justice system should do to promote the very idea of recovery in schizophrenia? Chris? Quite frankly, the answer to that all-important question is don't put people with mental illness in prisons because prisons are not the place for people with mental illnesses and they cannot recover in a, mental, in, in a penal institution. Uh, in Canada and the United States, uh, the prison system has become the largest mental health asylum in our times, and that's unfortunate. And such shortage of funding and access to mental health or lack of access to mental health care in the penal system is atrocious. And so um, it's the worst place for a person to be that has a mental illness is to be in a correctional setting. And, And so we need to provide for what I call the four R's in our criminal justice system. When I first came to Canada in 1985, these four R's were readily known by most people, and that's rehabilitation, restorative justice, recovery, and redemption. And that is that that people can move forward in their lives and learn from their mistakes and their crimes, but again, it has to be through a, a recovery philosophy that emphasizes rehabilitation, restorative justice, and that people uh, can move towards a, a state of what I, what I call redemption. Their, their lives are bought back and um, 
to a place where they can be contributing, positive contributing members of society again. And would that redemption include in, or should it include in your mind, um, spirituality? Well, that's the root of the word, and redemption means to be bought back, you know, to be purchased back uh, as someone who's been a slave. And how else could we speak of people with mental illnesses, especially with severe, persistent mental illnesses, that they are enslaved to mental illness? And um, we know that with recovery-oriented mental health systems that people's lives can be purchased back. I mean, uh, historically, people with mental illnesses were often expected not to recover. But um, services of the future will talk as much about recovery as they do about symptoms and illness because more people who develop mental health problems will have a good quality of life, a greater ability to manage their own lives, and strong social relationships and a greater sense of purpose as we move towards recovery-oriented mental health services. Here's just one very quick observation from interviewing people with experience of a different sort with the um, mental health, the criminal justice system. And that is, um, there are situations where young people are put in detention. The young people may have um, mental illness, um, but nobody in their families can afford bail. So although they've not been found guilty of anything, they're still locked away and they may or may not be receiving the mental health care that they actually need. Just very quickly, is that a reasonable, have you heard that? Is that something that you recognize as being a, well, a it's true? Well, it's truly atrocious. Uh, people who are put in remand center, as we call them here in Canada, can uh, be wasting their lives there without adequate psychiatric intervention for months, if not years. And uh, even in youth detention centers. And we know that the earlier you intervene in a young person's life, when there is the manifestation of any sign or symptom of mental illness, the earlier you identify and intervene and treat, then the less likely they are to go on to develop full-blown, enduring, serious, persistent mental illnesses. So early intervention is very important, but unfortunately it doesn't take place in the correctional system or the penal system. Right. Now, unfortunately, we've reached the um, point at which we have to close this vastly important um, episode. Um, I want to say thank you to Dr. Chris Somerville for every every insight he shared with us. And if I can say a personal point to him, I now understand why he's on the boards, not just of the Schizophrenia Society of, uh, of Canada, but also the Manitoba Schizophrenia Society and a vast number of other organizations because of his commitment to this excellent work. And what I say to you on behalf of us all, Chris, keep up the work because it's vital in our healthcare system. Now, I also want to say thank you to our listeners and to send comments or ask questions or participate in the show. Please email me at docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Please join us for our next episode, same ply, 
place towards a national policy on autonomy and the treatment of schizophrenia. So that's the title of the next episode that's coming up in a week or so's time. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us for Schizophrenia Community Radio with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Thank you for supporting Schizophrenia Community Radio. We hope you, too, have gained strength. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.